Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAD. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detail today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. I think that was the real tipping point at which I started, you know, meeting a broad enough range of people that then you can start to pick and choose. Like, I see what that person is doing. I would love to talk to them. And then I don't feel uncomfortable or awkward reaching out to a perfect stranger. And more often than not, you find that if you're willing to ask somebody for help, they're more than willing to help. And, you know, a good dose of flattery goes a long way too. If it's just like, I really admire what you're doing. Like you're obviously, you know, have been very successful in your career so far. And I would love to learn a little bit from you because I'm also interested in X, Y, Z and people will take you under their wing. Welcome back to Context and Clarity, the place where authors, experts, and thought leaders come to have engaged conversations with entrepreneurial architects just like you. I'm Jeff Eccles, and every Tuesday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, my co-host Katie Kangas and I, and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we all have a conversation with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. We've just launched our fall season, and we kick it off with a return guest. It's Carl Sergio. Carl is an architect and a mentorship champion. Just listen to some of what he's involved with. He volunteers in both the NOMA Project Pipeline Program and the ACE Mentorship Program. He started the WING Mentorship Program through AIA Chicago that serves the University of Illinois at Chicago, the Illinois Institute of Technology, and the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Now he's pioneering Nexus, 
a virtual national mentorship program for emerging professionals. And he's a co-director of AIA Chicago's Bridge Mentorship Program. There's more where that came from. And we had a great conversation with Carl about leadership and mentorship. Give it a listen and let us know what mentorship guru Carl Sergio inspires you to do. All right, Entree Architect community, it's 2 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, which means it's time for Context and Clarity Live as we're kicking off our fall season of Context and Clarity Live. Welcome back. I'm having trouble just getting the words out of my mouth at this point, but we are back. If you no context and clarity from the past. You may remember, hey, 4 p.m. on Thursdays. Uh, yeah, at one point, Context and Clarity Live was 4 p.m. on Thursdays, and we shifted to 2 p.m. on Tuesday, and we're back. We took a summer break, but I am joined again today as we come back. And it actually feels like fall where I am. Probably does where you are too, Katie. But I am joined by my co-host, Katie Kangas. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to see you, Jeff. Glad that you're here. And so what is it like in Minnesota today? Is it chilly? It's sunny today, but it's been cold off and on. Okay. But I did already harvest apples. So, <laughs> so all right. we are into fall. <laughs> fall is here. Fall is here. Very good. Well, I'm glad that we're back. It's been a while. I'm rusty. I have been and still do host another show for uh, Shadow Partners at noon Eastern every day. It's a short form show. So I'm not out of practice on the interview side, maybe on the long interview side, but we'll see how this goes. It's going to be a great fall season. We've got a very good lineup and we're starting off with a great guest today. And I think it's a very timely topic. We actually talked about it this morning on Java with Jeff, our morning mindset conversation. So we'll jump into that here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, we need to let you know, here's, here's a little bit of a commercial announcement. It says, announcing networking with purpose. Coming up, Entree Architect is going to present a live five-day focused networking training that's designed for architects just like you. It's going to be hosted by Mark R. LePage, who you know is the founder of Entree Architect, and it's going to be presented by Brian McCartney with the support of the team at ArcMark, the architect branding and marketing agency, all about networking, build your confidence, clearly communicate your value, make connections with ease. It says, make the lunch hour a power hour. It's three, or no, it's five 30-minute live sessions. It starts October 19th, and we actually have a URL to put up here on the screen so you can check it out. It's entrearchitect.com slash networking with purpose. That's a lot of letters there. Networking with purpose is what all those letters spell out. So uh, entrearchitect.com slash networking with purpose for more info on the uh, networking with purpose five-day focused networking training. So check it out. It is free. It is five days. It's 30 minutes a day for five days, but it will elevate your networking game. And I'm pretty sure that at some point in this conversation today, for Context and Clarity Live, we'll probably talk about networking as well. Little bird told me that we might. So we'll see how we get into that conversation here today. But until then, Katie, I'm completely out of practice. So what have I missed at this point? I think we got to welcome folks in. So John Jones, we missed your comment. 
in the chat that you're the first one here. So thanks for joining us today. And I think you're right. I think we are right on topic with the mentorship aspect. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think we are. This is a good one. And, you know, like I said, we talked about this this morning a little bit and talked about the idea of when is it your time? And I'm really looking forward to jumping into this discussion about mentor, probably leadership as well, but also, you know, how this applies to life and where we are personally, maybe in our business, but also in our personal lives. So our guest today is an architect. He's a leader and a mentor. He volunteers in both the NOMA Project Pipeline Program and the ACE Mentorship Program. He started the Wing Mentorship Program through AIA Chicago that serves the University of Illinois at Chicago, the, the Illinois Institute of Technology. We were talking about that before we went live. And the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Now he's pioneering Nexus, which is a virtual national membership program for emerging professionals. And he's co-director of AIA Chicago's Bridge Mentorship Program. That's a lot of mentorship. So there could be no better person to join us today to talk about membership than Carl Sergio. Carl, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, that is a lot. And believe it or not, all of that stuff happens in the liminal space between work and kids and home renovation and everything else. And the time I have to carve out to do all that other stuff is minuscule at best. So just making the most of what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's really, really important, first of all, that you do that. So. I didn't even mention that you were a repeat guest. So thank you for coming back. But you were on maybe a year ago at this point. I've lost track of time. But mm -hmm. uh, you were on to talk about mentorship before. And, you know, this is something that a topic that we could talk about monthly or weekly or whatever. And it still wouldn't be too much, right? Would it be enough? I doubt it. But it certainly wouldn't be too much. It's what makes the profession go around, yeah. right? So... Why don't we go back to the beginning for you and how did you get interested in mentorship? Was it because you had a great mentor e experience or maybe because it lacked when you came into the profession? Yeah, ding, ding, ding. I think for everyone, it's either one of those two things. And for me, it was definitely the latter. I graduated in 2010, you know, at the tail end of the last recession. And it was excruciatingly hard to just, you know, find a job and kind of find your way into the working world, get connected with our local AIA chapter. You know, even though, I mean, I could literally see the entire Chicago skyline out our studio window, there was just no physical bridge for me to the city and to the working world. And it was kind of shocking. And I just thought, it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm going to try and make it you know, less hard for other people. But I think it took a while before I was able to sort of figure out you know, what that meant. And I think kind of build the skills, build the networks that I could leverage in order to make an appreciable difference. I started out just being a mentor myself for high school students. And, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about what the next bigger thing is. You know, they talk about a piece of furniture in a room, a room in a house, a house in a neighborhood, so on. So I thought, well, okay, I'm impacting two students, but 
you know, I'm seeing kind of systemic problems behind the reason that they need mentors in the first place. So how can I continue to grow, you know, my influence and impact? And once I took on leadership of the Bridge Mentorship Program, it was very apparent, like, okay, there's something here that's powerful that I can do. And once I was involved there long enough, you know, then it gave me the confidence and the network of relationships to start to do more beyond that. One of the things that I do is teach an undergraduate class, an undergrad pro practice class. And, you know, some of those students have some firm experience, have some architecture working experience. They're all headed next semester into the required internship period. And that's one thing I encourage them to do is, you know, find, find somebody. Today we talked about, we went way off topic, which I know surprises everyone in this community that I went way off topic, but we started talking about what it's like to work in a firm and the necessity to advocate for yourself, et cetera. But, but there's still the reality that you don't know what you don't know. And there's many times and one of the students that has work experience, they shared their experience said, Hey, they gave me things to do and said, figure it out. And even my mentor and this is not a great example. I think you probably agree. Even my mentor would say, hey, I don't have time to answer that question. You know, and I think there's that danger out there. But how do we grow the next generation? It's sort of cliche, but how do we grow the future of the profession if we're not willing to cultivate them? Many of us were lucky enough to have mentors along the line, but some not. So what are we going to do? And I think as rapidly as everything changes, there's somebody in our community, Leslie Dival. She talks about two-way mentorship all the time, right? She's more experienced. She loves to mentor younger people that in turn mentor her on things that she doesn't understand. So I think it can be a great relationship, a great ecosystem. Yeah. Do you think you're seeing more of it than back in 2010? Well, in my circles, yes. I think there's been a lot more sort of, you know, brand awareness around mentorship in general sure, um, yeah. in the last handful of years you know, through the pandemic, certainly. And, you know, as the conversations around DE&I, like, continue to increase, I think mentorship has been a big piece of that puzzle as well. You know, mentorship has always been, I think, baked into NOMA's values and goals and programs, for example, because, you know, they have, they've realized a long time ago, like, we've got to band together, we've got to support, you know, our people, we've got to help them along because maybe no one else will. And that was something I realized a long time ago too, was just the value of mentorship in helping those that needed it the most and to help people navigate every single tough transition point in a career, whether it is, you know, getting into school, graduating, finding a job, getting their license, getting promoted, navigating the transition of, you know, parenthood and trying to maintain a career, like all these different points along your life that you're trying to get ahead. It's proven in some of the NCARB's studies too, about just showing the drop-offs of diversity in every single stage of the career of an architect. Mm. And, you know, some of it certainly has to do with, we're still kind of dealing with a legacy pipeline, so to speak, that is going to take many decades to kind of change. Because the students now in school and graduating from school are extremely diverse. So it's just a question of like getting them the rest of the way through their career. And, you know, selfishly too, is 
helping them all the way along until they can be at a point in their career that they can be a mentor, that they can understand, wow, you know, I had somebody that was incredibly valuable to me that helped me along in my career. I wouldn't be where I am without them. And I want to be that for someone else. And now that, you know, now speaking into the future, now that we have, you know, a bunch of women, people of color, you know, et cetera, in leadership positions who are AIA fellows, for example, then I think that will be a, a real turning point and feel like a real victory. Or, you know, even if you look at the incoming AIA national presidents from Emily to Kim Dowdell to Evelyn, it's really exciting to see that, you know, and they're, they're definitely celebrating that as I think they should. I think having examples like that, having faces like that goes a long way towards, and that's feedback we get in our mentorship programs all the time. Like, I wish there were more people that looked like me. And that's like, well, there's nothing I can do about, you know, the people that made fellow 10 and 20 years ago and, you know, what race and gender they were. All we can do is work with what we've got and continue to try and improve it. So that's been, you know, a very important goal for me to continue doing, particularly for students now. So what are some of the questions you do ask to try and help pair successful mentees, mentors? You had near-to-peer mentors mentioned as well. To be honest, we always try to let them meet each other and pairing ends up being like a pretty organic thing about who just connected with who. And you always find that there's a handful of like very, you know, outgoing, gregarious people that just connect more upfront and everyone wants to be paired with that mentor because there's fun, interesting, you know, genuine, nice. But, you know, it does take a certain, I don't know, skill set or aptitude to be a good mentor. But it's also at the same time not that difficult to learn to just listen though it is difficult. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty rare that we have a bad relationship. I think, you know, the self-selection of somebody saying, I want to be a mentor, I want to participate in a program is usually enough to kind of weed out anyone whose heart is not in it. And so as long as their heart and head is in it, you know, and if they're willing to carve out a little bit of time to give to someone else, I think that's all that really takes. And then from then on, it's just a little bit of hand-holding for me always to make sure that, you know, everyone is having a good experience which is tough when I'm trying to run the whole program, but then also like check in with individual people, you know, and sometimes manage relationships a little bit. But it's also really important because then, you know, the fellows or the other mentors we have, you know, they're all friends. They need to have a good experience. So they come back and they realize that they get as much out of it as the mentees do. And then, you know, it sort of takes care of itself because then I have people reaching out like, when are we starting again next year? I'm really excited to get started. I want to come back. I'm looking forward to it. You know, and then it sort of becomes more of a sustainable thing. One of the things that I did last week was I kicked off the uh, incubator for uh, Shadow Partners, which is my day job. And part of what will make that incubator a success, of course, is the startup companies that are part of it, but the mentors. Right. There's this component where with every startup team that's there, there'll be at least one, if not two mentors embedded with their team. Mm. And so we kicked off Friday and we did introductions, of course, right? You do all those things. You learn who all the, all the startups are, who all the founders are, what their ideas are. And then we hear from all the mentors and every single one of the mentors 
talked about wanting to give back and, you know, their experience, how they got through to where they were, et cetera. One of the mentors actually said, I wake up every morning and I ask, how am I going to give back today? And I thought that was so incredible. So my question is, at what point do you become qualified to be a mentor? Where do you have to be in your career, in your life, et cetera, in order to be a qualified mentor? Is there a place? Yeah, I think as soon as you reach the moment that you have something to share of value, some experience that you can pass on to somebody who is, you know, next behind you, like that's all it takes. I mean, high school kids can be mentors to their siblings college students, you know, I mean, you, you see like study groups and things like that at the heart of it. I think that's all it is. It's like, you have a little bit of knowledge and experience that I don't have. You know, that's where you get TAs from. Like they just pass the class and then they help the next class. Like that's all it takes. And I think it's easy to think that you might have to, you know, be at some kind of important level in your career. But that's also why I started the student mentorship program um, was because I wanted to get people to immediately start giving back and to see themselves as mentors. So everyone I kind of utilize to mentor the students, they're all alumni of the other mentorship program. And so as soon as they go through that and they think, wow, I just got a lot from AIA Chicago. This really helps me. I wish I could do this for somebody else. And I'm like, actually, you can do it for somebody else. Um, so I'll check back with you soon and ask you to be a mentor for a student. And that's worked out pretty well. But, you know, I'm trying to emphasize to the students too, like when you graduate, please don't disappear. As soon as you have found your first job, suddenly you're in this place of experience and privilege that these students are not yet. And you have something of value, some experience, you know, some relationships that you can share to help your fellow alums. Something I'd love to figure out how to build is just some kind of, you know, model through AIAS National or something where we find a better way to hold on to recent graduates so that, you know, when somebody from IIT here in Chicago graduates, we know where they are, we know who they are still, and they immediately kind of come back and start mentoring current students. And it's just this vision of like people on a ladder or on a set of stairs, just every single person is reaching down to the person behind them. And I think that's the whole idea. And then you start to build this, you know, longer, or if you think about those big, those obstacle courses where you got one of those giant walls and it takes a team of people to like throw each other over the wall. Like that's kind of what it is. It's like you get one person to the top and then that person turns around and reaches down and everyone just helps each other over the obstacle and no big deal. Teamwork. That's an awesome vision. I'm wondering about flipping the script about how to seek out the mentors. We had a title for this called Ready or Not. How do you know when it's your time? And that's so related to mentorship in terms of trying to find the mentors that you need when you're going in a new direction. So a lot of times it's... Maybe this is presumptuous, but I think it's easier to find people who are in a position that you want and to follow them up that ladder. But with the diversity of students coming into the profession, I think the profession is changing and I think they get to change it and change the shape of it. And so you're finding mentors, not because you want to follow them, but because they have skills to help you grow in a way that helps you build the profession in a new direction. And so how do you start to advise and mentor people who are going into an unknown, and yet it's not unknown, direction of the profession? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a tough one. 
I think partly too, we've realized that it's surprising how often you get two people in a mentoring relationship where the mentor is kind of on a completely different path than, you know, the young person who's looking for advice. And yet I think, you know, a lot of the same, a lot of the, their different experiences are still kind of applicable in an abstract sense in terms of, you know, kind of taking the framework of how they navigated their career and applying that to your own path. I think that's one answer. But, you know, I think also it just kind of relates to networking, that dirty word that most people hate, which is also, I think, in a way related to public speaking, which is, you know, generally speaking, people's number one fear more so than death itself. And just to say one other thing, you know, I learned to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And in 2010, and I spent nine months, you know, just sweating through shirts, going to events, trying to meet people and make relationships. And I realized how hard it was. But also, at some point, I broke through some barrier where I built like a, a minimum network size where all of a sudden it started kind of taking care of itself. And I could go to things and I knew people and they would introduce me to more people. And I think that was the real tipping point at which I started, you know, meeting a broad enough range of people that then you can start to pick and choose. Like, I see what that person is doing. I would love to talk to them. And then I don't feel uncomfortable or awkward reaching out to a perfect stranger, you know, and more often than not, you find that if you're willing to ask somebody for help, they're more than willing to help. And, you know, a good dose of flattery goes a long way too. If it's just like, I really admire what you're doing. Like you're obviously, you know, have been very successful in your career so far. And I would love to learn a little bit from you because I'm also interested in XYZ and people will take you under their wing usually. So that's actually why we named the program Wing in the first place. The student mentorship program was about taking you under your wing. That's awesome. And I think you gone through that struggle. Maybe some of us have gone through that struggle of learning how to network. And I think that's what's really beneficial about the programs you've built to try and ease that process of learning these interpersonal skills that a lot of people just need to develop. But it's not taught in Architecture 231. You've got to learn it on the side. Yeah. Small firm entrepreneur architects. Get ready to build a better business with the Entree Architect podcast, where business meets architecture. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, the host of Entree Architect podcast. Join me every week for inspiring interviews with passionate people that share proven strategies to help you build a better business. If you think there is a problem, one, you can't make a move until you have a plan in place. The accountability chart really helps plan, okay, for the business, six to 12 months out, this is what we need. We cover it all from financial management to marketing, sales, productivity, and beyond. There's two sides of it, right? So there's the one when you don't have any work. So you're like, well, I'm either going to charge enough to be profitable or I'm going to go out of business. Or you have so much work and you have backlog and you don't need any more work. So you charge way more. I'd also say lagging measures, one of the best like the best, best, best. <laughs> so for any client, for any professional service um, company, if you're going to take one thing away from what we're talking about today is to look at a number called the labor efficiency ratio. Entree Architect is not just a podcast. 
It's your secret weapon for success. With over 500 episodes, it's one of the longest running architecture podcasts in the world. You're sure to find the information you need to elevate your business. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now and join the community of small firm entrepreneur architects building better businesses. Well, you know, as you can tell, I mean, I've kind of gotten, I guess, more uh, interested in like meta architecture or, you know, career professional development. I mean, I am still an architect by day, but, you know, doing this in parallel has really helped me navigate my own career and helped me figure out how to do it and who to talk to. And I think that would have been really hard to figure out my own path without a bunch of other people to talk to, even if I haven't necessarily gotten clear answers on what to do and how to do it and where to go. And it's just, you know, it's a, architecture is a very small industry and it's helped to make it smaller for me, but it's also just helped to kind of build, you know, to feel like we're all in it together and like you have something to learn from everybody and everyone is going through the same struggles. And it's also, I think, very interesting to kind of take the curtain off, pull the curtain back on people who are in really successful leadership positions and find out that, you know, they're still struggling with things. They're still trying to figure out how to navigate whatever it is, you know, those dang millennials or something and, um, you know, or leadership transition and ownership in their firm, you know, something like that. And so that too helps me realize, okay, everyone is going through their own struggles and it sort of demystifies people that are in places of, you know, leadership and success and just helps me realize that like, okay, maybe they're just another person who's struggling as much as I am and still trying to figure it out. And I think it makes it a little easier and kind of de-stresses the like, I've got to figure everything out so that I can, you know, achieve success, whatever that even is. Yeah. I think that's important to remember or, or understand. Maybe that's not a common understanding is that even the most successful people, the most successful CEOs, many of them still have coaches and mentors. They belong to mastermind groups that, yeah. you know, it, it's not that they're not struggling. It's not that they don't have problems, different problems they are in a different place than I am, you know, and they still need that help. And I guess it was yesterday on Java with Jeff, our morning mindset conversation, I brought up the Jim Rohn quote, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think, yeah. you know, whether it's sort of a direct one-on-one -on -one mentorship relationship or something else, and I tell this story sometimes where I realized one day, right, it's probably when I first heard that, first came across that quote, you know, I looked around and I went, those five people that I spend the most time with, it's not my friends and family, right? It's the people that I work with. It's the the clients, maybe, if, if you've got a client that you work with a lot or contractors, whoever they are, it's probably those people that you spend the most time with. And I looked around one day and went, I don't want to be the average of these people. Mm. That can mm -hmm. sound very judgmental, but I just, I did not want to be. And I've also had a, a similar realization Lately, it's like, you know, these people, this group of people, there's something very different about them. And I don't want to be the average of that. And so when we're 
thinking about this mentorship, again, whether it's one-on-one or something else, I think a question becomes, how do I surround myself with people that are going to help me succeed? You know, in all of these mentorship configurations and efforts and programs that, that you've been involved with and you are involved with and you continue to grow, what advice do you have for people? Maybe it's the person that's looking for mentorship or maybe it's a firm that wants to build a mentorship program. You know, we could look at it from either direction, but how do we incentivize maybe, but how do we encourage people and help people to surround themselves by people that will help them succeed? Mm. Well, you know, a big challenge too is that I think a significant majority of architects are introverts as well. And, you know, that can also make that a little difficult just in terms of putting yourself out there. But I mean, a lot of it is just, I'm a big picture thinker and it's a long game. It's a long-term investment. It's a big picture thing about your, you know, your career and, you know, the kind of long-term trajectory of it. So that's another reason that I'm trying to work more with students is to emphasize, and this is really hard. And I think directly to your point that, you know, students when they're in school are totally heads down. They're so focused on studio. They're overwhelmed, overworked, underslept, you know, trying to figure everything out. And I'm trying successfully and not to, you know, kind of shake them out of that for just a few minutes a month to meet with a mentor and just remember like, okay, you know, at some point you're going to have a diploma and some models that you built, but you're going to have to go out in the world and find a job. And, you know, school feels like everything right now, but, you know, it's going to kind of fade into the rear view at a point. And then, you know, what then? And how do you make that transition? How do you get to whatever is next? And so I'm trying to help them carve out a little time to invest in that future. And I think that's something that I think about a lot too with everything that I do is it just takes like ruthless commitment to carve out time, even in the face of deadlines and other daily commitments. I'm extremely rare. It's extremely rare that I will, you know, miss like an AIA commitment or a deadline because I put that stuff a lot more important than my work deadlines, to be honest, because that stuff is about, you know, something bigger than, you know, getting my CDs submitted for permit on Friday instead of Monday. It's about our community and it's about other people and it's about our industry. So it's not hard for me personally to be motivated to, I think, kind of properly prioritize things like that. But it can be hard for a lot of people to sort of step back and you know, see the forest through the trees or see the forest for the trees, whatever the exact phrasing is. But, you know, to to think big picture and to get away from like, I have a lot due tomorrow and I am so tired and just want to get to the weekend. But it's like, there's some quote, every action you take is like a vote towards the picture of who you want to become. And I mean, that informed me during school too. I, I went to sleep instead of pulling all nighters all the time because I knew at some point I'm going to have a family. And if I build these habits now, pulling all nighters to meet deadlines, that's probably how I'm going to work when I'm older. And that is not going to work for my future spouse and my future kids. So I established good habits pretty early on. I didn't even drink any coffee then, which I can't say 
now, but you know, some things had to change. <laughs> I think what you're describing is very related to Mandy Freeland's comment. Shout out to Yaf alum. But she mentioned the money statement. So how you're making this argument for value. We get it. You get it. But how do you help other firms? Because you're kind of preempting the problem by talking to students and trying to get them to go out and ask for it wherever they go, which I think is an amazing upstream solution to this challenge. But what do you do for those who are already in firms or talking to firm leadership? That's a tough one too, because yes, and I think that's an ongoing struggle because, you know, obviously you can't put a an ROI or a dollar amount to a mentorship program in a firm or to the time spent on said mentorship program. I mean, you can put a negative dollar amount when you're talking about the billable hours that are being pulled away in order to do something like that. It is hard, but it's a long-term investment in everyone and the notion that, you know, rising tides lift all boats. And I do believe that. And I think a kind of related concern a long time ago with our local mentorship program here was, why would I encourage my staff to participate in this program if it's just going to help them, you know, find a different job and leave my firm? But in reality now that there are enough people participating there. And yes, there's a lot of movement kind of before, during, and after the program, but that was probably going to happen anyway. And the positive side of it is that they're moving on to something better that they feel more passionate about that is a better fit for them. They're opening up a space for you to find somebody to fill it that is going to be more passionate about it. Maybe they're going to be younger and cheaper and you know more tech-savvy, who knows? But But I think there's enough shuffling and shifting that it's more like, well, you better be part of this, better get on this train because otherwise you're just going to miss out because it's going to happen either way. But, you know, I think that's the positive side of maybe that concern is like it is a long-term investment, but it eventually starts adding up and you start to see the value of the long-term. It's just a question of carving out the time really and prioritizing it. Yeah, we, we don't keep retention numbers very well tracked in firms. But I have heard from at least one mentor who used the mentorship program here locally to shop. Maybe that's not the right term, but to pre-interview and get to know different students and to gamble every year. But he would find someone that was a great match for all those other qualities that you can't put on a resume and offer an internship to them to be his mentee or his draft person in his firm until they pursue licensure and move on. And then he would do it again. And he just kind of had that cycle as a sole proprietor that he always felt that need to have at least one apprentice with him. Kind of like the SIP, but maybe he wouldn't appreciate that. (laughs) But yeah, so it's a benefit in both directions. And I love hearing you talk about it. I'm curious, since the last interview, if you have more categories of mentoring. So there's mentoring... Mm -hmm down, there's mentoring near to peer across. Are there other forms of mentorship that you've started versus coaching? How do you start to talk about this to describe the different relationships that kind of happen full career? Yeah, you know, I think generally it's just the up and the down and the sideways. It builds a, you know, kind of lattice network. 
So we just kicked off our program here in Chicago last week. And I told all the participants, it was just an event for them to kind of get to know each other. And I said, I know that you all signed up for this program because you're expecting to get a mentor out of it. You're looking for a one-on-one relationship. And I said, what you didn't realize you were getting and what is actually way more important is all the other peers in the room. You know, like we're going to be here for each other together for the rest of our careers collectively. And I think that is the real, those near peer relationships are just, I think, invaluable. And I have relied on them for advice and support. And, you know, there's always somebody who's, who has gone through something recently that you are now going through. They have very, you know, very salient experience for what that was like and how to deal with it. And, and especially if you talk about things like the small firms exchange nationally, but also like here locally, we just have a Slack channel that a bunch of the really small, you know, firm owners of one to six people, they're all very active on there. And a lot of them are graduates of the bridge program, but they're just really great about providing support for each other. And, you know, I don't think that they think of that as mentoring, but it like most definitely is, or, you know, at the, at the least, it's an offshoot of, I think, the convivial nature that we created in the chapter through the bridge program, you know, where everyone is contributing to each other and there's a lot less competitiveness than maybe there would be otherwise. I love how you're highlighting the informal quality of networking, mm. just being able to share openly and support one another. That support seems to be key yeah. to grow the profession as a whole. Yeah. Well, I do believe in it as a support group for sure. Yeah. You know, just to have a shoulder to cry on sometimes. <laughs> it's important. I've been sitting here thinking about the question of, you know, the lack of ROI, et cetera, inside a firm. So I guess mm-hmm. in part back to Mandy's comment and Andrew's good to see you, Andrew, his comment as well. You know, one thing, and I've told this story to a lot of you before, but I used to pre COVID, I was asked a lot to speak on your brand as an employer. So I'd be at AI Chicago or wherever and, and do a presentation on your employer brand your brand as an employer. And there would always be somebody, and I could pick them out as soon as they walked in the room, but there would be somebody that at the end of my talk would go off on this rant and they would say, I can't find anybody that wants to lead. I can't find anybody that wants to take over my firm. And you know, then, then they'd get into to talking about generations and there's a whole lot of nonsense. But and sorry for all of those that may see this and you were that person in the room. But it would always be my firm, my firm, and I, 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 I. And so I would let them rant, and then I'd have to point that out to them. It's like, I wouldn't want to take over your firm, right? Because what you're saying is this is all about you. What you're saying is you're not willing to give anybody any autonomy or or any freedom of thought or anything else. And so why would anybody want to take over? And, And I think... If I were to think about a mentorship program, whether it's actually inside the firm or, you know, sort of contained inside the firm or it's a broader, a local chapter or something like that, I think those are the type of connections that you mentioned diversity earlier or DEI earlier. And I think that's what's missing in those scenarios, right? The person that 
So a hint to any of you that hear me give this presentation in the future. If you sit on the middle aisle, second row from the back, on my right, your left side of the row, I know you're that person and you look an awful lot like me. That person that's complaining about these things. There's a real lack of diversity there. There's a diversity of lack of diversity of thought. There's a lack of diversity of vision and everything else. And I think, Katie, you mentioned the retention piece of it. That's got to be huge in, in firms, right? How do we retain our people? We mentor them. We give them a vision of what the future can be. We, we help them learn leadership skills. And I think all of these things wrapped up, again, in a firm or in a chapter or whatever it is, I think it cuts down some of these arguments. But this owner that I'm seeing over and over in these presentations, they have to be open to that. They have to be willing to invest in that. Maybe invest in that and be open to that is the right order to say that. Because without that, there is no future for that guy's firm, right? He's not willing to grow. He's not willing to grow himself, but he's also not willing to grow his people, so to speak, and allow them He's not willing to, I used the word cultivate earlier, I think. He's not willing to cultivate these people and let them grow, allow them to grow, encourage them to grow in the firm. That firm's not going anywhere. So there must be a component of this that helps to grow the best firms, I would think. You agree with that? You, you see that? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, you know, again, it's a long game. And I think that's the hard yeah, part yeah. is because, you know, when we're thinking about, project related stuff and and billing and you know your monthly financials like those are literally the bottom line and it's very easy and concrete to think about those things and to prioritize them it's very hard and abstract to think about you know the long term stuff and you know one thing that i struggled with was at a past firm that we had kind of I don't know, two separate things that were operating in parallel, but passing like ships in the night where, you know, we had annual reviews or even kind of monthly, you know, maybe they were, I don't know, every six months or something talking about like, okay, what have you done? What are you interested in doing? You know, what do you want to do next? What struggles are you having? How can I help? And that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, like the project staffing, was very much just a kind of on paper numbers game. Like when, you know, when they're staffing a new project, they don't say, oh, geez, like, is there anybody in the office who we know has been really dying to work on campus master plans? It's like, okay, who is our campus master plan hotshot? Are they available? How many hours, you know, how many hours can we get out of them? And they don't even ask that hotshot. Like, by the way, do you still want to do this? You're really good at, you know, there's also this conflation of like you have done something and you're good at it and so you probably want to continue doing it and i think that is very often not true at least for me somebody who likes being a generalist and wants to continue growing and being challenged and doing new things i don't want to do what i've already done because i already did it you know at some point it's like okay i've figured that out i can do it in my sleep i'd like to do something you know that grows some new neurons And so that's like a long-term cultivation in your staff and in your culture, but it is hard to do when you're bottom line focused and when you're, you know, Mm. staffing focused and project oriented and all these other things, because you do have to still turn a profit and pay your employees and all that sort of thing. So 
there's definitely a push and pull between those two things. I'm banking on your, or going back to and leaning on your, is long-term. And I'll take it the opposite, right? It's, it's short-term thinking, it's small thinking to overlook this because we're still, I think, we're still, I mean, the numbers have changed quite a bit, I think, over the past six months, but maybe a little bit longer. But we're still in this position where a lot of people are struggling for staffing and and couple that with this generational leadership shift. There are a lot of people that are running behind in terms of secession planning. Mm-hmm. And that's a different level of lacking mentorship. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is. You know, the way that, that I kind of combine those two issues together is how are you going to sustain this firm, right? You need new leadership, which means you need to be mentoring people in that direction, either in-house or put them in some program like here in Indiana or Indiana, I should say, we have the Christopher Kelly leadership development program. That's leadership development. It's not strictly a mentorship program, but they're, they're very similar, right? They're related. And so if you're trying to grow the sustainable firm, something that's going to last beyond you, what are you doing to bring the next generation in, prepare them, which is always the argument of that guy sitting back there, second from the back on the right, middle right. You know, so they're, they're lacking that, they're lacking that vision and mm-hmm. their bottom line falls apart. They can be focused on, on the billable hours and all of that, but it falls apart when they start struggling for the talent. And when they go through that secession plan and they're, you know, five years behind where they ought to be in a secession plan, right. To really, to really work it out the way it should be done. And I think that's where the rubber hits the road. It's fine. Today, today, absolutely. Pay attention to your billable hours and poo-poo the mentorship program because there's no ROI. But tomorrow, what are you going to do? Because it's you've lost in the long game, as you're saying, Carl. Yeah. Yeah, they used to call those firms like pyramids where the principal's at the top, mm-hmm. but it's almost like they're inverted. Mm-hmm. And you're going to topple because you're saying it's my way. I will do this rather than the co-mentoring where you say to someone else, you should do this or you should try this. And so that would be a good challenge to everyone on this call is to, if you see someone in the next week that you know they need this mentorship program or you see an opportunity they should go for, tell them and uplift them because sometimes that's what it takes is someone else telling you about it because you don't know what you don't know, just like Carl said at the beginning of this. That's a really great point. Well, one other thing. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I think there it's easy to kind of focus on retention in a bad way and think that like if anybody leaves, it means something negative. But, you know, there's a certain kind of maybe 10% annual turnover that is pretty healthy because the people who genuinely don't want to be there will leave. And, you know, those, some of the things that you find out through internal mentorship is you find out like, okay, oh, wow, you're actually really not happy here. Mm -hmm. Let me talk you through how to, you know, maybe I can connect you with somebody at another firm that I know to find a place where you will be happy. And like I said, you know, opening up a spot for bringing in somebody else who is fresh and excited and, you know, I do think it's better for everybody in that situation. 
I mean, then, you know, it does have a pretty measurable impact on your bottom line at that point. But, you know, we always look at, at people leaving and moving jobs as a bad thing. But I think it's like, we're all kind of trying to find our best and highest use at the same time. And anytime you're freeing up a spot, it's a great opportunity for somebody else to step into it. And like you just said, sometimes people are looking for different things at different stages of their career. And so they find a better fit in a different role. Yeah. And to be open to that takes what you have, Carl, is that big vision for a better practice overall, which, like you said, the boat's in the water, everyone's lifted up, but it's hard when you're just trying to get the water out of your own boat. You think you're sinking. Yeah. To be concerned about that. Yeah. I think that's a good point, too. It's, you know, there are seasons of life and seasons of career. And those things expectedly or unexpectedly change and change the outlook and change the needs. So even, you know, we didn't get so much into a conversation about life, but people to help you get through, you know, you mentioned earlier, parenthood, right? So we see this all the time, right? Young architect, few years out of school, maybe they've gotten married, maybe they've got a young family now, they're also trying to pass the ARE, right? How do they navigate all of that? Those are big changes and it may take several people to help walk them through the kid part of it, the marriage part of it, the, you know, all of it, there's all of these and, and that changes and back to the idea of the CEOs, right? They're in a different season and they have different needs. Yeah, yeah, and like Katie mentioned, even at the CEO level, people have support groups and networks and people they rely on for advice and so on. And yeah, I don't think that need ever stops and it does permeate all aspects of life. Certainly parenthood, which is far above and beyond anything that I could possibly have to handle as an architect. Parenting is definitely next level hard compared to working. It makes being an architect feel very easy by comparison. <laughs> I agree with that. The day job's a nice time to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, being an architect is like taking a break for me. For me. <laughs> That's how you know you love what you do. Yeah. Kids are great. They're really wonderful. Mm-hmm. But they can be loud. They can. Well, we've we've made it to the top of the hour. I think this has been a great conversation about mentors and mentorship. Carl, thank you very much for rejoining us here on Context and Clarity Live. Thanks for yeah. coming back and helping us kick off the the fall season of uh, Context and Clarity Live. It's great to have you here. Well, what do you think? Did you hear something in this conversation that you can use in your practice or even in your daily life? If the topic of this conversation is of particular interest to you, I invite you to go over to the Entree Architect Network. It's a place where entrepreneur architects just like you gather to have conversations on these topics and support each other in their practices and in their lives. You can find the Entree Architect Network at network entrearchitect.com. And if you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. You can also have the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week. Just give us a rating and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Your likes, your ratings, and your shares help us and help other entrepreneur architects like you to gather together 
and you can help us build the largest worldwide community of small firm architects. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think about how you can build your business into something that allows you to practice the way that you want to practice. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA Continuing Education Services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media.